buildings in terms of reaching into this community and uh, that's what your giving enables us to do and so please do continue to give as you're able if you were at the AGM the other night you missed a great night of just praise and thanksgiving and and food and worship uh, I'll put some notes uh, the, the highlights on the newsletter this Wednesday and so if you uh, subscribe to our newsletter you'll get that on Wednesday evening and I'll just fill you in on just some of the things we discussed there like I said we have Hope Kids and Hope Tots on at the moment uh, just not much else uh, just to say again we're having communion later in the service if you're watching online if you've joined us since the start we would love you to join us for communion so go and uh, grab some juice and some bread if you're in the room you should have received one of these uh, if not we'll get you one of them after the message um, and Saturday night there is a quiz for those of you who enjoy quizzes those of you who are competitive those of you who uh, would just like to get out from watching Britain's Got Talent on a Saturday night uh, you can show how much you've got talent uh, by your uh, great general knowledge ability um, you don't have to be with a team you can come along great way to meet people that's from seven to nine one of our young people Katie Goff is going on an exodus team to Romania this summer to work with kids and so it's a fundraiser for her but uh, we just love you to come along from seven to nine on Saturday night here at the church. We're going to be starting just a two-week series today uh, looking at heaven and the title of my series is this, Heaven is a Place on Earth. Anybody want to show their age and say they remember that song? Who sang it? Belinda Carlisle, I have to admit I had a, a crush on her when I was younger and maybe that's why I like the song so much but uh, I had the cassette of that album Heaven on Earth. So we're going to be looking at heaven as a place on earth. We had Easter Sunday two weeks ago. We talked about resurrection of Jesus. Last week, Jamie talked about the death of Jesus and his substitutionary atonement. And uh, today, we're, and next week, we're going to be thinking more about resurrection and heaven. Today's going to be an introduction. There's going to be a lot of Bible, a lot of teaching. But from the first service, people were saying they found it really helpful. And so I, I pray that you will as well. Let's pray as we come to the Word of God again um, and ask his help to... Uh, just to speak to us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have inspired this word. I pray, Lord God, that you would, uh, as I speak, that you would give us a renewed uh, anticipation of heaven, a renewed desire for the things that you have stored up for us, and a renewed desire to share the gospel with others so that they can be there too. In Jesus' name. Amen. What would your dream life look like do you ever think about that if money was no object if you had no ties no uh, ties to location or anything like that if you could go anywhere at all do anything what would your dream life look like some of you are thinking it would look like just as i have it right now where would you be where would you go if you were a billionaire and there was no restrictions on anything what would you do a number of years ago, there was a series on TV um, about millionaires and billionaire lifestyles. And one night, there was a, one was entitled Billionaire's Paradise. And they, uh, it was all about Richard Branson and Necker Island, the island he owns in the Caribbean. And I thought I would just show you about 45 seconds of it, of what they said about Necker Island. On behalf of Becky, I would just like to say thank you to the management team and to the trustees. <laughs> Uh, 
all those offerings that you've been given, I just want to say that we really appreciate them and they are being used uh, well. Um, so we're heading there for a week in June. It's only 280,000 pounds. I mean, it's a bargain, absolute bargain. Um, but did you notice, I found it fascinating the language they used. Everybody's looking for paradise. And they actually even used the word Eden twice. There's something in the human heart that's longing for that life that we were created to live back in Genesis. That life, that perfect place and a perfect uh, uh, relationships and perfect surroundings. There's still something deep within the human heart that's longing for that. We know that's what we were made for. We know that we weren't made for the world as it is right now. And that's why we buy things and we, 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 we look for the perfect things, the perfect car and the perfect home thinking that will satisfy us and the perfect marriage thinking that will satisfy us and, and of course you've all got that and, 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 the per, you know, and we just, we, we're all with the perfect holiday and, and just all, we're looking for perfection, we're looking for the, the, the dream life and yet it always seems to get spoilt somewhere along the line. You know, we were up the North Coast last week and we were... On our last night, we'd booked Harry's Shack down on the Strand Beach, the little beautiful little restaurant right on the beach there. And it was a beautiful evening and the sun was setting and, you know, my wife and my boy and we were at a table outside and it was just absolutely beautiful. It seemed like the perfect place at the park. It just was beautiful. And then these drunk English louts came in and just ruined. I mean, I beat them up and threw them out. But, but, um, but you know, just, you know, you go on the perfect holiday and there's drunk English louts. I'm not saying anything about the English, but it's just all of those things that you think will be perfect somehow get spoilt by drunk English louts. Uh, I think Peter will be uh, very careful in heaven. No, but seriously, the things that we, you long for that new car and then two weeks later something goes wrong with it. You long for that perfect holiday, that perfect marriage, and just it's not as perfect. There's something. C.S. Lewis said this, if, if we find within ourselves desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, maybe it's because we were created for another yeah. world. Maybe we were created for another world. And that's what I'm going to be thinking about. We're going to be thinking about heaven. We're going to be thinking about the other world that we were created for. I wonder when you think of heaven, what do you think about? What do you think about when you think of heaven? You know, the media and advertisers and movies tend to paint heaven in a very kind of stereotypical way. White fluffy clouds, people wearing white robes, playing harps. Uh, singing all day and eating cream cheese. That is kind of the picture of heaven that you just kind of float about in a disembodied kind of cherub, a fat cherub, uh, just eating and, and playing the harp. And I have nothing wrong with fat cherubs and harps or anything like that. Uh, but I don't think that's what heaven is going to be like. Others think of it as like one long eternal church service. And I, I, I like church. I don't think I could do this for eternity or two hours. Um, I, you know, I do, I love this, but I don't want to do this forever. I, I don't think this is what heaven is going to be like. There's others who think it's like earth only uh, on steroids, like earth only so, so much better. There was a book that came out a number of years ago called A Travel Guide to Heaven, and the author said this, Disney World, Hawaii, Paris, Rome, and New York all rolled up into one. The ultimate playground created purely for your enjoyment. It's kind of the American dream, isn't it, of just entertainment and leisure and beauty. Is that really what heaven's like? Other religions have different ideas of what happens after you die. 
Muslims believe that if you're a Muslim and you die as a martyr, if you uh, maybe uh, do a suicide bombing or something like that, that you uh, go to paradise and you get 72 virgins. Now, I have nothing against 72 virgins, but I'm not sure that's how it's really going to be. I'm not sure I really want to be there with a suicide bomber either. If you're a Mormon when you die, if you're a Mormon, actually, I have to say, this was appealing. If you're a Mormon man, you get your own planet, you become God, and the Mormon woman has the privilege of becoming eternally pregnant to you so that you can populate the planet. Women, wouldn't that be heaven? And all the women said no. Uh, eternally pregnant, morning sickness every morning for the rest of your life. If you're a Buddhist, uh, when you die, you simply cease to exist, you become nothing. And if you're a Hindu, you, uh, you get reincarnated. If you're really good in life, you come back as a ported down man. If you're really bad, you come back as a Glenavon supporter or a cat. One of the two, not a lot of difference there. But as Christians, we go to the Bible. We immerse ourselves in Scripture because if I want to know what your house is like, I want to ask you because you know better than I do. And if I want to know what heaven is like, I need to go to the Scriptures and I need to see what God's Word says about heaven. And so what I want to do this week and next week is simply ask questions. Ask questions about heaven. And like I said, this week is an introduction, and next week we're really going to get into Revelation 21, 22. But the first question I want to ask is this. Where is heaven? Where is heaven? When people talk about heaven, they always go, if you were to say to somebody in the street, where's heaven? They go, up there. Isn't that what they say? And we'd say things like, my Uncle Johnny's looking down at me from heaven. I want to say to you, that I find that a bit of a weird thought, some of the things you lot have been up to in the last week or so. I don't want anybody looking down on me from heaven. Sorry, you're obviously much more holy than I am. Um, you know, some of the things I say and do, I don't want every relative who's ever died to be looking down. I think some of them would be quite mortified. Uh, mostly with Becky's behavior rather than, than mine. But I'm just saying that, that, that you know, oh, they're looking down on me from heaven. I, I, I'm, just, I'm not completely sure about that. But we always think of heaven as up there somewhere. When the Bible talks about heaven, it actually, there's three heavens in the Bible. There's three heavens. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians says this. He says, I know a man, and he kind of winks at that stage. He's pointing to himself, but he doesn't want to say it's him. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Now, I am no theologian, but if there's the third heaven, there must be a first heaven and a second heaven. And that seems to be what the Bible indicates. It doesn't explicitly call them those, but we do hear of a third heaven, so there must be a first and second one. The first heaven is simply the stars, the moon, the sky. When uh, God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1, it says he created the heavens and the earth. So there's more than one. But the first heaven is the sky, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, the planets. So it's, it's what you look up in the sky. So when people say it in heaven and they point up, they're talking about the first heaven. And actually it says in uh, Psalm 8, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place. So the Bible, when it talks about heaven, sometimes just referring to the skies above us. The second heaven is the invisible spiritual realm all around us. Now, right now, we're physical beings. We can see, we can touch, we can smell, we can taste, we can hear. But right now, also all around us, there is an invisible spiritual realm occupied by Angels, good angels, God's angels, and demons, bad angels. We read this in Ephesians 6. Verse 12 tells us this. Our struggle, 
And that word for struggle means little wrestle. It's close combat. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not against physical people. It might feel that way, especially with that person in work or that person in your street. It may feel like your struggle is against flesh and blood, but it's actually against spiritual forces of evil. Where? In the heavenly realms. So right now, all around us, we can't see it. Just as real as we are physically, visibly, there is an invisible spiritual realm made up of angels and demons and and they interlink and they overlap and one influences the other we know that with temptation we know that when things come into our minds and you go where did that awful thought come from we know that when we see wars in the world when we see desire we know that there's a spiritual world all around us and there's good and there's evil and there's this cosmic battle going on all around us all the time We feel it at times. Do you ever wake up at four o'clock in the morning terrified for no reason? Like there's just this fear comes over you and you know that it's not natural. You know there's something spiritual to it. We live in a fallen, broken world where there are angels and demons and there's a battle going on all the time. So there's a first heaven, there's moon and stars. There's a second heaven, the invisible spiritual realm all around us. Then there's a third heaven, which Paul talked about. He was taken to the third heaven. And that is the unique dwelling place of God. The unique dwelling place of God. It's the part of the invisible spiritual realm that God only occupies and those whom he chooses to admit in there. Psalm 115 says this, The highest heavens belong to the Lord. So the third heaven is the highest heavens where God rules with Jesus at his right hand, angelic beings around the throne, and God's people in worship. We read about this in Revelation 4, where the apostle John on the island of Patmos, he's an old man, and he has a vision, and he sees this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on. As we go through Revelation, you see the throne again and again. The heaven, the third heaven is the dwelling place of God. It's where he is enthroned in majesty and splendor. Jesus at his right hand, the saints and the angels around him in worship. That's the third heaven. It's where the souls and spirits of believers go immediately when we die. It's to that third heaven, and we'll get to that in a little bit. So if the first heaven, the sky, the second heaven, the invisible realm, and the third heaven, the place where God uniquely dwells. So what happens when we die? Where do we go? There's an old story about a florist who was really busy, and they got two of their orders mixed up. They had two orders, one for a new business opening in the town and another one for a funeral. And uh, the people who had opened the business came in furious, They said, you sent us the wrong flowers. We got flowers delivered today that said, rest in peace. And the florist looked at them and said, you think you're annoyed? You should have seen the people from the funeral. They got a big bouquet of flowers saying, good luck in your new location. (laughs) We don't like to talk about death, do we? It's one of those things that nobody likes to talk about. We we don't even like the word. We say, they passed away. They, they, they passed on. That word death seems so harsh. It seems so final. We don't even like to use the word death. 
We live in a world where we'll talk about almost anything, but bring up death at a party and you're no longer the party. You're out of the party. We buy life insurance. What do you have to do to get life insurance? Die. It should be called death insurance, but that's not a big selling point. By the way, can I say this? That if I die, Becky has got a really good life insurance policy on me. And so if there's anything remotely suspicious about it, could I ask you to, just on the record while we're recording this, could I ask you to look into it? Just if anything, like just out of the ordinary were to happen to me, I just want you to, and especially if there's another guy on the scene within a week or two, I just want you to look in. I know she's a good, good woman, but uh, still, I just, I think I took that insurance a little bit too high. We try to delay death, don't we? We try to delay it by healthy eating, exercising, eating our vegetables or five a day, moisturizing, getting a little bit of a nip and a tuck. And yet the harsh reality is that we've all got a terminal disease called death. One out of one people die. The statistics never change. Our bodies are decaying. Some of us feel that more than others. We get aches and pains as we get older. We get sick. We suffer pain, we get slower, our joints get sore, our minds don't work how they used to. And as well as the physical pains, there's mental and emotional pains. And our fear, fear of death comes from what we really see as the finality of it all. We see death as a full stop. I mean, that's really what the last two years have been about, isn't it? We've been terrified of death. Like, I think we can talk honestly about it now. Not that I haven't for two years, but I think we can really talk a little bit more honestly now. Like some of the things we did over the last two years to avoid death. Like we stayed away from our loved ones. We didn't go and visit our dying relatives. And I know we were trying to do the right thing. We didn't hug each other. We sat apart. Some of the things we did, and why did we do them? We were trying to avoid what I'm talking about right now. We wanted to avoid death. We will do anything to avoid death. And yet death is inevitable no matter how much you eat healthy food, or how much you exercise. So why bother doing any of it? You're going to die anyway. Let's see what the Bible teaches, okay? You know, if you ask most people what happens when they die, most people will say they go to heaven. No matter who they are, they'll say, you know, what happened to you? Is there another place? Well, yes, there is, but that's not where I go. I go to heaven. And anyone I know goes to I mean, very, you know, hell must be heavily underpopulated if most people, because most people automatically assume that they're a good person and good people go to heaven. What does the Bible teach? Well, the Bible says that we're made up of two parts. There's the physical part, our bodies. And then there's the spiritual part. There's that... It's a soul or a spirit. I'm going to call it the spirit. It could be either. I, I think the two are one. It's the essence of who you are. And so you can lose parts of your body, but your soul and your spirit remain constant. They're the, they're the, 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 the part of you that remains unchanged. You could lose your limbs. There's a, a guy called Nick Vujic, who, who's an Australian Christian, who's a speaker. He's got no arms and no legs. And, and, and yet his spirit shines. He loves Jesus. He, he's just an incredible... Because his spirit is the essence of who he is. And when you die, your, your body will decay, but your spirit is the bit that lives on. Ecclesiastes says this, the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Remember what Jesus said on the cross as he was about to die? He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The apostle Stephen in Acts 7, the first martyr of the church, as he's dying, it says he looks up to heaven and he says this, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Spirit. So Jesus and Stephen 
had this understanding that the second, the second they died, their spirit went to be with God. The second they took their last breath here on earth, they took their first breath in the presence of God. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today, not in six months, not in the future, today you will be with me in paradise. So there is this understanding in scripture that the moment a believer, the moment a Christian dies, they go immediately into the presence of God. That your body remains here, it's buried, it's cremated, whatever you do, but your spirit, your soul, that essence of you, immediately if you're a believer, goes into the presence of Jesus, where there's total peace and love and joy and praise. Jesus called that place paradise. So I'm going to call it that. That place in the presence of God where you go immediately when you die. If you have a loved one and they love Jesus and they had their faith in Christ, the moment they passed away, the moment they died, they went to paradise. They went into the presence of God. But I want to say this, and this is where Christians get a little bit confused sometimes. Paradise is not your final dwelling place. That is not your final dwelling place. See, most Christians, they think, when they think of heaven, they think of their souls going to heaven in the presence of God, and that's where they're going to spend eternity. That is not what the Bible teaches. It is a temporary stopover before your final destination. Heaven is where we live in God's presence. Paradise is where we live in God's presence. Until Jesus returns, we receive new bodies, and we'll get to that in a minute, and he judges the living and the dead. It's our present heaven is where we go immediately, but our eternal heaven is somewhere different. But there should be no mistake, and when we die, we immediately go to be with Jesus. There's no suspended state, there's no sleep. We, we go directly into the presence of God. Paul said this in, in Philippians 1. I preached on this passage not too long ago. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and what? Be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you. So Paul had this understanding that if he were to die, he would immediately depart and he would be with Jesus. In Revelation, the apostle John has a vision of heaven during the tribulation. Jesus hasn't returned yet, but he sees heaven during the last days. And look at what he sees. I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, and people in language. In other words, there were people in heaven. People from every nation, tribe, and tongue in heaven before Jesus returned. Their spiritual, the essence, their soul was in heaven worshiping him. They're not angels. They're people who are dressed in white robes, robes of righteousness because of what Christ has done for them. So it seems very clear to me that the moment a believer dies, they go straight into the presence of God. Paradise. What about those who aren't Christians? We don't like to talk about that so much. Where do they go? The Old Testament talks about a place called Sheol. Some of you will have seen that word. S-H-E-E-O-L, Sheol, the place of the dead. New Testament calls it Hades. Unfortunately, when the King James Version translated Hades, it translated it hell. That is not the case. Hades is not hell. Hades and Sheol are the same place. It's a place of where, where spirits who don't belong to God go. It's the place that they go before Jesus returns and there's a final judgment. 
The best example of this, I'm not going to read the whole parable, I didn't for sure, but it's a, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, where Jesus told a story about two men who died, and they, one went to, to paradise, to, to uh, Aram's bosom, they call it, the, the place where God is, and the other one went to uh, uh, Hades. And it says this, and just in the last few verses, um, it says, besides this, between us and you, this is uh, the person who went to be in paradise, says to the person in Hades, because they, they, they want to come across. Between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed so that, no, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, not that they would want to, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Now, we need to remember this is a parable. And so uh, we shouldn't take every word literally when Jesus told parables. But it's the only parable in the whole Bible that Jesus uses names. Every other parable, it was like a man of two sons or a woman lost a coin. But here he actually places a name on the guy. So maybe this was something Jesus had actually seen before he came to earth. And in the parable, there's two places where departed spirits live. One is a place of comfort and peace and love and joy. It's paradise. And the other one is a place of pain and anguish and separation from God. It's Hades. It's Sheol. And and it says that there's a huge contrast between them, but there's also a chasm between them. There's a gulf, there's a, a, a distance between them that cannot be crossed. In other words, what it's saying is this, that when you die, nobody can light a candle or say prayers for you to change your eternal destiny. In other words, what I'm saying, let me be a little bit more clear. There's no such thing as purgatory. It is a doctrine from the pits of hell. That once you die, the choices you made in this life for God or against God will determine your eternal destiny. And there's nothing anyone can do after you're going to change where you go. That's what the Bible seems to make very clear. So what happens to the dead then when Jesus returns? One day Jesus is going to return. It's all in the book of Revelation. There's going to be a final battle, which really is no battle at all, because Jesus just wipes out his enemies. And then it's, uh, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it says this in Revelation 20. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead are judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up his dead that were in and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. The first death is where you go to Hades or paradise. The second death is those who don't belong to Christ. They're thrown into the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Not the most politically correct sort of preaching we don't hear today people don't like talking about this stuff and yet it's so clear in scripture that access to heaven is not for everyone it's for those whose names are written where in the lamb's book of life why does it call him the lamb because on the cross he was the lamb of god who shed his blood and took my sin and your sin 
And if you don't place your faith in the Lamb, your name is not in the book of life. But the moment you say what the Lamb of God, what Jesus did on the cross was enough, was sufficient, I'm putting my faith totally in him, that's how you get your name. My name is not in the book of life because I'm a minister. My name is not in the book of life because I'm a good person. My name is not in the book of life because I preach the gospel. My name is not in the book of life because I'm a good, good father. My name is not in the book of life for any other reason except the finished work of Jesus Christ. All Jesus, only Jesus, always Jesus. That's where all my trust is in what Christ has done on the cross. That's how you get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Anyone, it's open to anyone. There's no discrimination. I have two friends, I used to have two friends who were bouncers in a, a, a pub nightclub, in quite a fancy pub nightclub in Belfast. And uh, I used to go there just to hand out tracts. And um, back in the day, Larry and Danny were their names on the door. And uh, not their names were on the door. They were the names of the guys who were on the door. And, uh, and they could decide who had access. And if you were wearing trainers, not tonight, sorry. If you were too drunk, not tonight, sorry. If you just didn't have the right look or they thought you were going to cause trouble. Sorry, folks, we're full tonight. And then they let everybody else in next. But any time we arrived and there was a queue, they'd go, go on in. And everybody in the queue would be mad at us. And I loved it. Because I knew Larry and Donny. Larry and Donny were my friends. They were my mates. I had a relationship with them and that gave me access. You see, anyone can get into heaven. It doesn't matter what color you are, what background, how much money you have. It doesn't matter anything. The only thing that matters is that you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Because heaven is not... Heaven doesn't begin when you die. Heaven begins right now. It's simply a continuation of your life on earth. You see, if you were to say to the average person on the street, you want to go to heaven, 99.9% are going to go, I want to go to heaven. Consider the alternative. If they believe in heaven and hell, they're going to say, I want to go to heaven. Do you want a relationship with God? No. So you're saying you want to spend eternity with God, but you don't want to spend this life in relationship with him? That doesn't make sense to me. God has simply given you what you want. Why would he make you have eternity with him if you don't want to spend this life with him? Why would he do that? He lets you choose and he honors your decisions because you are a free agent, you have free will. And whatever choice you make in this life, he respects. He's not going to force eternity on you if you didn't want him in this life. Why would he do that? He's so good. But for anyone who chooses him in this life, it's simply a continuation of that relationship. The moment we die, we just continue the relationship that we've started here with him. And it's open to anyone. It's open to everyone. Whosoever believes in him. Whosoever. No criteria apart from believing and trusting in him. It's like me saying, I want to go to stay here. You have a lovely house. You have a beautiful house. I love your house. It's a gorgeous house. Can I come and stay in your house? But I don't like you. I want you to move out. That's not going to go down very well. People want that in heaven. I want to go to heaven, I just don't like Jesus. I want to go to heaven, but I don't like God. I want to go to heaven, but I want to live. No, it's God's dwelling place. If you don't want to be with God here on earth, if you don't want him to dwell within you, why would you ever want to be in heaven? God just gives you what you want. What about our bodies? What about our bodies? As I've already said, the moment we die, Our bodies die, but our spirits, our souls go to be with God. Our bodies are buried, they're cremated, whatever you want to do. It doesn't actually really matter that much. But you end up in paradise or Hades. But God's plan was never that humans would be disembodied spirits. 
God's plan always was that humans would be physical and spiritual. Always. His intention was always that humans would live in a physical body free from sickness, disease, aging, and infirmity. And so one day it says that God is going to give us a new body, a resurrected body. That is the central message of the New Testament. And this is where Christians struggle or don't understand. And that's why I wanted to lean in and we'll go a wee bit further with this next week. But I think if you get this, it changes everything. That we do not spend eternity as disembodied spirits floating about in the spirit world. The Bible makes it very clear that one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. That there's going to be a physical earth renewed, perfect to the way it was made to be. And we will be reunited. We will have a physical body and we will, the essence of who we are will be there. But we will have a new physical perfect body. And that's possible because of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is the only person who has ever defeated death. Yes, he raised the daughter of the um, centurion, and yes, he, he raised Lazarus, but they were resuscitated. Jesus is the only one who has ever faced death square on and come back from the dead and been resurrected. And what he has shown us is that death doesn't have to have the final word. Death is not the end. Death is not a full stop. For those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he is the prototype. He is the example of what will happen you and me when we die and eventually we come back on a new earth. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, but Christ indeed has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as an Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Notice it says twice Christ is the first fruits. I was thinking about, again, I'm showing my age here. How many of you remember the Del Monte ad from back in the day where there'd be this field and it was all beautiful and this man in a white suit would get out and he looked kind of Italian, remember? And he would go and he'd squeeze the oranges and he'd examine them and he'd cut them open and everybody would be watching to see his, his, uh, what he would say and, and he would go, the man from Del Monte, he says, yes! Anybody remember that? The man from the money, he says, yes. In other words, what he was doing is he had tested the first fruits and the first fruits were an example of what the whole orange orchard, I don't know what the name for an orange, orange orchard was like. Uh, that, that if the first fruits were good, it was an example of what every other orange would be like. And it says here, Jesus is the first fruits. In other words, Jesus rose from the dead in a physical body and he is the first fruits. He is the example. He is the, the prototype of what you and I will be like. We will be raised in a physical, perfect body. And, and God says, yes, I like that. That's the way I want it to be. I don't want you to spend eternity as disembodied spirits. I want you to have a physical, perfect body. Now, I don't know if you'll get to choose your body, ladies or men, whatever. Ladies, I don't know if you'll get to like, decide I want you know, Kim Kardashian's body and Scarlett Johansson's face. I, I don't know if that's the way it'll be. But I know that you will have a perfect body. Men, you will have a perfect body. Again, it makes you go, why do I bother that much now? I don't know. Um, but, but you'll have a body that doesn't age or get sick or grow old or deteriorate. 
a healthy body free from aches and pains and hurts and disease. And you will live in a new physical recreated earth forever and ever. So when Christians talk about spending eternity in heaven, that's part of the story, but it's not the whole story. Yes, the moment we die, we go to be with God. Our spirits go to be with God. But when Jesus returns, there's the final judgment. We are given new physical bodies, and we will see next week as we study Revelation 21 and 22 that Jerusalem comes down from heaven, and there's a new earth. We live on a physical, perfect earth for eternity. That changes it for me. I don't know about you. That changes how I view heaven, that we're not just kind of floating about playing the harp and eating cream cheese forever. That we're living on an earth that is designed the way it was meant to be before any sin or sickness or fall or natural disasters. We are perfect. We never get sick. We never get old. That sounds like something I can look forward to. Maybe I'm the only one. Let's finish. You know, next week, here's what we're going to look at. Actually, yeah, next week we're going to look at this. What will heaven be like? What does the Bible tell us heaven's like? Will we know each other in heaven? I know some of you will have asked that question, especially if you've a loved one who has passed. Will we know each other in heaven and how will we if we have a new body? What age will we be in heaven? Anybody ever think about that? If a child dies or even somebody before birth dies? If somebody at 97 dies, what age will they be in heaven? We'll look at that next week. And what will we do in heaven? If we're not playing the harp and eating Philadelphia, what will we be doing? Well, Revelation 21 just gives us just a wee taster, a wee preview, a wee, a wee trailer right now. Revelation 21 verse 4 says this, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. What a beautiful image. That God will wipe every tear from your eye. Not that there'll be crying in heaven, but every tear you've shed on earth. You know, we're brought into the world, and what do babies do the moment they're born? What do people do at our funeral? Hopefully. And everything in between is, there's a lot of tears, isn't there? Like some of us cry more than others, but there's a lot of tears in life. People leave us. People hurt us. We hurt ourselves. And it says when we get to heaven, Jesus takes a handkerchief and he just wipes it all away. There's no memory of all the pain and heartache. And there's no more pain. There's no more tears. If there's any tears, there'll be tears of joy. You know, a number of years ago, I was visiting somebody who lives locally here. They don't go to this church, so I'm not breaking any confidences. I've been asked to visit them by a family member. and I was talking to them, and there a lot of different things going on in their life and their family. They had a very difficult situation. And as we were talking, they rolled up their sleeve and they showed me their arm and there were just cuts all the way down their arm. I said, what's that? She said, I just, the pressure inside gets so much and the tension, and I just, I, I just, I, that's the only way I can feel a release is to cut. This is a, a woman who was maybe 40-ish, actually. We're not talking about a teenager, we're talking about a mother, a wife. And she said, the only way I can feel like I can release the pressure in my life, the only way I can cope is to cut myself. She said, I'm so ashamed. And she said, it was actually about two weeks, three weeks later, I was visiting her again. And she said, wait you hear what happened, Craig. I was in Lisburn last week and I was walking down the, the main pedestrian area in Lisburn and 
a man I'd never met before came along and he grabbed my arm and I was afraid for a second, but he said, it's okay. And he pulled up my sleeve a little bit and he said, do you do that to yourself? And she said, I was so embarrassed, I was so mortified. She said, yeah, I do. Then he pulled up his sleeve and his arms were covered in scars. And she said, you do it too? And he says, not anymore. He said, I used to do it, but then I found hope. And these were his last words to her, and then he walked off. He said, do you know what? You're worth more than this. You have more value than this. You were made for more than this. And off he walked. And she said that moment changed something within her. And I just want to say to you, you were made for more than this. No matter how good or bad your life is, you were made for more than this. That God created you for eternity with him. God created you for, for, for healing and for life and for joy. And in this life we'll experience a foretaste of it, but we will never find satisfaction here because we were made for more. And do you know how we get there? There was one who took scars. There was one who took scars. Remember when he was resurrected and Thomas doubted, he said, look at my scars. And because he was scarred, we can have our scars removed. We can have our scars healed. We can have our hurts healed. But it's only because he took scars for us.